I'm Cassie Hilbron, and this is the Cook It Real Good podcast, bringing you shortcuts to success in the kitchen. Today's episode is all about gluten-free baking. If you've been a long-time listener of this podcast, you'll probably remember that many of the food bloggers we've had as guests have mentioned that their biggest cooking disasters have been with gluten-free baking. So I thought it would be pretty handy to have a special guest who could take us through some of the tips for mastering it. And that person is Alex from the food blog, It's Not Complicated Recipes. The blog reflects Alex's approach to cooking. She likes it to be simple, easily prepared, and delicious. She aims to inspire those who love cooking and encourage those who don't. Given that one of Alex's most popular recipes is for gluten-free almond cookies, and she has countless other gluten-free goodies like cakes on the blog that are equally as delicious, I knew she was the woman for the job. I'm fairly certain we all know someone who can't eat gluten, so understanding the basics behind gluten-free baking is a great start to making sure that everyone can have their cake and eat it too. You'll learn a lot from Alex today. This week's recipe of the week is my orange and almond cupcakes. Look, I couldn't exactly have a gluten-free episode without including a gluten-free treat of my own in here, and these cupcakes are delicious. They're light and moist with just the right amount of sweetness. Serve them as is or put a little bit of icing sugar or powdered sugar on top. Grab the recipe as well as all the links we discuss in today's episode by visiting the show notes, cookitrealgood.com slash 46. Now let's dive in. Hi, Alex. Welcome to the Cook It Real Good podcast. Hi, Cassie. How are you going? I'm well. I'm excited to finally have you here. I've been wanting to get you on for a while, so I'm glad that we're finally having our date. I know. I'm very excited. Now, before we get into today's topic, can I ask you, what is your signature dish? The one that people are like, yes, Alex, you have to bring that when you come over. That would definitely be uh, my almond cookies, which do also happen to be gluten-free. They're one of the easiest things to make, but they're just something that I make for all my friends and family all the time. And they're always a hit. It's one of your most popular recipes as well, isn't it? It is. It's the most popular recipe on the blog also. I eye them off all the time. I'm just going to have to hurry up and make a batch. The thing is, I there's can't a few things up. on your list. <laughs> I know. I can't keep up with all of this, especially the sweet stuff. Like I'm okay with the savory things, but the sweet stuff, you know, you can only make it so much and eat so much sweet stuff. <laughs> I feel like that list just gets like so long and I'm never going to get through it. But the almond cookies are at the top of it. I have, I've been wanting to make them for a while. Excellent. You'll have to make them after, after we finish the podcast. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think I might actually have all of the ingredients. Well, there's only five. It's pretty yep. easy. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it will. <laughs> all right, well, that was a good segue into today's topic, which is all about gluten-free baking. Um, I've been, I've been keen to get you on here to talk about this. I know that it's something that people struggle with. So if for any of our long-time listeners, you've probably heard many bloggers on the podcast share that their biggest fail was a gluten-free baking fail. I've lost count of how many times 
like us bloggers have have said that they've had so many fails trying to either convert a recipe to be gluten-free or just playing around with some gluten-free flours. So this is going to be helpful for a lot of people, I think, today. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. There's definitely a few tips that I can give that will hopefully make gluten-free baking a bit easier. Yay. So let's start off with, I was just thinking, what are, so if you were going to have a try a hand at gluten-free baking, obviously things like all purpose or plain flour and self-raising flour are out. What are some flours that you can play around with? So there's a lot that you can play around with, but in general, probably the most important thing with gluten-free baking is to realize that one flour is probably not going to cut it for you. So you really need a good quality blend of flours with baking. So for some things like corn flour, rice flour, they all have their place in cooking. Like corn flour is really great to thicken up sauces and gravies and rice flour is fantastic to coat chicken to make it a little bit crispy. But just putting rice flour in a cake isn't usually going to work for you. You need a bit of a blend. So there's a lot of fantastic commercial blends that you can buy or you can make your own. And I mean, it's easier, obviously, to buy something that's commercial, but if you are planning on doing a lot of gluten-free baking, it can be a little bit more cost-effective to make your own blend. Okay. And if you're making your own blend, what, what kind of things do you recommend to blend into it? So you might do a combination of like a, a tapioca flour, some potato starch, usually a little xanthan or guar gum that will um, help replace the elasticity that you lose when you remove the gluten. There's lots of different blends that you can try out, but probably my biggest tip would be when you're starting gluten-free baking would be to start with a commercial, bland, a commercial brand until you get used to really baking with gluten-free flour. That's a good tip. And it kind of takes out the guesswork if you're just using someone else's Exactly. Like, oh, exactly. Make sure you get it right. <laughs> yeah. So usually you don't have to overcomplicate making a blend with, you know, 10 different flours, but there's usually a combination of at least two or three with a little bit, like I said, of the gums or something like that for the elasticity. All right, cool. So for anyone who has never tried their hand at gluten-free baking, what are some tips that you have for getting started? Definitely, Sure, sure. So I'd say definitely check your labels firstly. I think when you first start out in gluten-free baking, you'd be amazed at just how many things gluten are actually in. So there can actually be traces of gluten in things like corn flour, icing sugar, baking powder. They're not necessarily gluten-free. So if you are trying to restrict gluten from your diet, it's really important to make sure that those products are marked gluten-free. I'd say that's probably the first one. And also be careful of cross-contamination. So particularly if you're a celiac, never prepare gluten-free food in the same area or surfaces where there might be traces of gluten because you can really be that sensitive that just that small amount can make you quite ill. That's a really good tip. And I, I would never have thought that there could be traces in things like cortisone. I would have just thought that I could automatically yeah. use those. Sometimes they bulk them out a little bit with a bit of wheat. And so it's just got to be make sure that that packet is marked gluten-free. That's a good tip. Now, what about um, if we're using a gluten-free flour? Um, what about a rising agent? Like, is there a gluten-free rising agent that we can use? 
Baking powder, definitely. But again, make sure that's gluten-free. I use, mostly I use baking powder in my cakes. Um, just again, check the labels. But you'll find that once you get familiar with gluten-free baking, it's a very similar process to regular baking. Once you get more confident, you'll find that you can use a lot of recipes and convert them. But I tend to say to people, when you're first starting out, use specific gluten-free recipes just to get comfortable because it does have a different feel in many ways. What's the most common mistakes people make when they're starting out with gluten-free baking or, you know, I've, how I've had so many people complaining about recipes being flops. What, what, what do you think they're doing wrong? <laughs> So I think that goes back to what I said at the start, which is often trying to replace the all-purpose flour, for example, with just rice flour or just corn flour. That's just not going to do it. Or even if you've got a good gluten-free flour blend, just replacing that and assuming the recipe is going to work because it's not always going to be a perfect match. So gluten-free can turn out quite dry sometimes and it can also sink in the middle. And this is like if you're making a cake and you find it collapses in the middle, that's not uncommon with gluten-free baking because gluten provides such strength and structure to baked goods. So when you remove that from the equation, you often find that your baked goods can collapse a little bit. So for that, I'd say my biggest tip is use a ring tin or a bunt tin and that will immediately stop that from happening. But also... Play around with a few different things like I like often using half almond meal, half gluten-free flour, and that will make your cake a lot lighter, not so heavy and dense. And just be mindful that because removing the gluten from a recipe can dry things out a little bit, you might want to have a look at adjusting a few other ingredients too. Like I really like adding some sour cream or yogurt to cakes or even replacing white sugar with brown sugar. And that'll help make it less dry. Yeah, it really makes a huge difference. Particularly, I'd say recipes, look for recipes with sour cream in them and they usually give you a beautiful, I know the word that we all love, moist cake. I've never thought to use sour cream in cake before, but now I'm very curious to give it a go. Definitely. <laughs> I don't know. I get why everyone hates that word, but also like that's the best <laughs> result of a cake. You want it to be a moist cake. <laughs> it is. It is. I hesitate using that word. <laughs> I know it can be a little bit of a <laughs> pain point for some people, but at the end of the day, I agree. You you, you don't want a dry, crumbly, dense almost like overbaked cake. You want something that's nice and light and moist in most cases. Absolutely. Now, what do we do if something doesn't work out? Like uh, if you have a flop, can you save it? Or how do you kind of identify what you did wrong to fix it next time? Yeah, definitely. So I always like to think about how you can repurpose an item if something doesn't go to plan. So for example, if you have a dry cake, Think about how you can use that in another dessert, like a trifle where you'll be you know, adding maybe a little alcohol or some custards and jelly, lots of fruit. So you won't notice that the cake is dry. If you make a loaf of bread that doesn't turn out too well, you could turn it into breadcrumbs or croutons. I mean, breadcrumbs freeze really well, so they're great to have on hand. Uh, you can top pasta bakes with them, coat chicken in them. So that's a great option for some gluten-free bread if it doesn't work out. 
croutons, obviously you can pop them in a salad on top of a soup or, or take some larger bread chunks and turn them into a panzanella salad. So, I mean, the idea of that salad anyway is you're starting out with dry or stale bread. So you can just mix that all up with your ingredients and repurpose it that way. Uh, biscuits, cookies, if they don't work out, I like to grind them up and use them for a cheesecake base, for example. There's so many good ideas there. And I like that you're thinking of ways that we can reuse things that maybe haven't been the best in their original form, because I think all of us are thinking about food waste at the moment. We don't want to waste anything. Uh, But just because something's not fantastic as a cake doesn't mean you're right. It can't taste fantastic in a trifle Mm. or, um, you know, even putting, yeah, some, just some, ice cream on top of it and mixing it up <laughs> you can exactly. you can still taste good in different ways um so yeah I really like the creativity of that and you're right about the bread oh there's so many ways you can use bread <laughs> yeah exactly so I mean even if it doesn't come out perfectly when it's freshly baked there's lots of other options now is there any other points about gluten-free baking that I've missed some tips that would really help people nail it yeah so I'd say I mean, this sort of goes without saying in baking, but follow the recipe until, particularly until you're more familiar with also the recipe and gluten-free baking in general. I wouldn't alter recipes too much when you're getting started. Um, just you just don't want to end up too despondent about it, but it's just better, like I said at the start, to get a bit of a feel for gluten-free baking and also to find a recipe that suits what you're looking for rather than attempting to try to make it into something else. So just in general, I think with um, gluten-free baking, it's important to remember that um, once you take the gluten out of the equation, it's a gluten-free baking is a little bit more forgiving when it comes to overworking the mixtures and things like that. I mean, obviously when you're baking with gluten, you don't want to overwork that gluten too much, Um, but it's still important not to overwork gluten-free baking, particularly when you're cooking with a leavening agent such as baking powder, as you may lose some of the benefits of the baking powder. Also, to um, remember that when you're baking, this goes for general baking too, but keep in mind that all ovens vary. I think people get, you know, they see how long a recipe takes to cook and they think that's the exact number that they should test the cake. So it says 20 minutes, I'll test it at 20 minutes. But all ovens really vary. So you should really check for doneness probably three to five minutes before the recipe suggests. Again, gluten-free baking, we run the risk of things drying out, so you really don't want to overbake a gluten-free cake. The other thing I'd say is when you remove your baked goods from the oven, a cake or muffins, something like that, allow them to rest for a few minutes, but then transfer them to a baking rack to cool because the steam which is produced as the baked goods sit in the tin can cause the mixture to become a little bit gummy. So just keep that in mind with gluten-free goods. There's a lot of good points there. I really like that you specified about not sort of winging it on the first go. <laughs> like yeah. When you're making a recipe for the first time, it is important to follow the measurements that, well, to, to, to do the recipe as it's written and intended because then you know what result you're looking for. doesn't mean that the next time you can't throw in some some chopped chips or change the amount of sugar or anything like that. Then you have your creative license once you've made it the first time, but you really need to try it once 
exactly how it was intended to know what you're aiming for. Definitely. Um, and thank you for, for spelling out about the oven. That's something that frustrates me to no end. Um, and I get it. Like if something's written that it's 20 minutes, that it should, you, you know, you think that you should be able to just put it in for 20 minutes, but every oven really is different. I've just moved house about two months ago and my new oven is terrible compared to my old oven. And I've, I've burnt things making my own <laughs> recipes, being like just careless thinking, Oh, that'll be 20 minutes. And I really need to take like five, even sometimes 10 minutes off because I've got to, get used to this new oven. So you're right. It never hurts to start checking about that five minute mark before the suggested time, just to make sure that you don't overcook things. And you're, you're especially right that in gluten-free baking, you don't want it to dry out. No, that's right. But yeah, ovens, we all know ovens can vary quite a lot. So definitely important to keep that in mind. Now, do you have some delicious gluten-free recipes that people should give a go if they're just starting out in their gluten-free baking journey? I do, I do. So the almond cookies that I mentioned earlier on, they're both gluten and dairy-free and justified ingredients. I even say in the post, I go as far to say that this is a fairly foolproof recipe. You really can't go too wrong with that. So I'd say if you're starting out in gluten-free baking, it's a recipe that uses almond meal, which is one of my favorite things to use in gluten-free baking. So simple. You can't really go wrong with that. But I've also got a lot of really nice gluten-free cake recipes on the blog. Some of them are even just made in like a food processor or a stand mixer, literally put all the ingredients in. I mean, they can't get much more simple than that. I was like, what, what was it? A blueberry cake I saw that you had the yes. other day that was like that? That looked yes. amazing. That's one of our favorites and that uses uh, yogurt. So that keeps it nice and light. It's also a little bit of a different one as well. So we actually don't use just a flour blend in that. We use a little corn flour, a little bit of polenta, and almond meal. So it's got a really unique texture to it. Oh, wow. Yeah. I loved watching the video for it and yeah, everything mixing up in the food processor is just so easy. I love it. We love easy recipes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) I don't want to be in the kitchen for hours, dirtying heaps of dishes. (laughs) No, no. Well, I know you don't like cleaning up a lot, so that would be the recipe for you. (laughs) Yes. You do know me so well. (laughs) hate cleaning up (laughs) what's boring isn't it i mean (laughs) got more important things to do than cleaning up a massive pile of dishes so if you can do something in one pot or one food processor why not uh yes 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 i will make sure that we link those recipes in the show notes so if you want to try them you can head to the show notes to check them out Thank you, Alex, for sharing all of your tips with us. I'm, I think this will be really, really handy for people because even if um, you personally aren't gluten-free, I know that almost everybody knows either someone in their family or someone in their friends who does have issues with gluten, be them a celiac or not. Um, and, you know, you don't want people to feel left out, especially on special occasions. So if it's things like cakes, it's great if we can have a cake that everyone can enjoy. And I know that looking at your delicious cakes that everyone will enjoy them gluten-free or not. Definitely. No, I'm a big believer that gluten-free food should not in any way be inferior 
to those that have gluten in them. My little motto is that I want when people to eat my gluten-free food that they don't even notice that it's missing gluten. So I aim to do that with the recipes. So definitely don't think you'll miss the gluten in any of them. I love that because that is another point of when people have to go on special diets because of dietary restrictions. Um, It can feel like you're missing out because all these foods that you maybe once had, if you had eaten them previously, when they become off limits, you can't find decent substitutes for it. It becomes that kind of, uh, yeah, you feel like you're missing out the FOMO, but nope, there's no need to have that here. No more. (laughs) Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much. No, you're most welcome, Cassie. It was great to speak with you. I had a great time chatting with Alex about all things gluten-free baking. I've had my own troubles with it in the past, and I know that Alex's tips will ensure I get it right in the future. But first things first, I'm off to make those almond cookies. Yum! Grab all the links we discussed in today's episode at cookitrealgood.com slash 46. That's it from me. Have a great week, and don't just cook, cook it real good. Bye!